I will hearken, I will hearken to what the Lord God will say, for he shall speak peace unto his people and to his saints. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you may have surmised, because the deacon is preaching, the rector must be on vacation. You're correct. <laughs> um, anybody know what this is? Timeline. Oh, very good. You know, a theater person needs a prop. Right? A plumb line is used um, if you... Uh, hang it like this, secure it somewhere and let it hang freely like that. The weight obviously is pulled down by gravity, pulls the string and you end up what is, with what is a perfectly straight vertical line. Uh, why is that useful? Well, if you're building something that needs to be at right angles, you can hold this up to it and see whether what, you're, what you've got is vertical or not, correct? Um, we hear about a plumb line this morning in the book of Amos, don't we? Chapter 7. The prophet Amos, in our reading, had a vision that the Lord God was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, and he held a plumb line in his hand. This wall represents God's people Israel, the northern half of the divided kingdom. Well, the Lord is there to judge the spiritual state of Israel by using the plumb line that was used to build it. What was that? The Torah, the law. And it is clear to Amos that the nation of Israel as a wall is so far out of true vertical, so non-aligned, so non-parallel to God's law that its collapse cannot be prevented. Israel, by its inclination to disobedience, was unable to meet its covenant responsibilities or declined to do so, which was fulfilling the requirements of God's law. The law was not only unable to make Israel righteous before God, but as in this passage in Amos shows, serves to condemn it. Therefore, God tells Amos that his divine judgment and wrath will be poured out on Israel. Woe to Israel. Well, what if God used his plumb line, <clears throat> his standard, his measure, and applied it to the church, the people of God? What if God applied his plumb line to your life and my life? In that case, woe to me. You know, am I a teetering wall leaning too far out of vertical? You know, a wall cannot correct itself. That is, it can't make itself parallel to the plumb line. Only a power outside of itself can strengthen it, straighten it, bring it into conformity. To be made vertical, to be in accordance with God's will, 
to be holy and blameless before God can only happen by his will. And God's will, his plan and desire for us, is not to condemn us, but to spare us. By his grace, God freely offers us salvation, made possible in and through the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord that we are not members of the Old Covenant, but members of the New Covenant. Those who accept God's offer of salvation and receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior no longer are under the law, and consequently God's wrath, but are under or covered by the blood of Christ our Redeemer. The propitiation, as theologians say, for our sins. That is, he averts God's anger. He appeases God. Paul, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says this, But God shows his, shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since then we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God. And in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By his suffering and death, Christ made full payment for our sin, an offering which fully satisfied God's justice. The legal standing of the Christian believer is this, that through faith in Christ Jesus, we have been, just, we have been justified by his blood. Justification, another big word, means to have been declared righteous by God. Because all who believe in Christ have been justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we thereby have peace and reconciliation with God. I think of the visual image of a cross, Christ's arms outstretched horizontally to embrace humanity, to join them in him in vertical relationship to the Father. In that sense, Jesus is the plumb line. Now, there is no reconciliation, no justification, except through and by Christ. In him we have been spared from the wrath of God. But there is so much more for the believer. This is what Paul emphasizes for us in the reading we heard uh, just now from Ephesians chapter 1. The riches of God's grace and his blessings in Christ are immeasurable. So in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul exclaims, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So we are not only redeemed and forgiven, but even before the foundation of the world, God 
chose us to be blameless and holy before him. He preordained that we be adopted as sons through his son, Jesus Christ. So we are not just admitted into his presence as servants. No, we are admitted as his adopted sons with Christ Jesus, the firstborn elder brother. Now, ladies, you may be thinking, why doesn't it say sons and daughters here? Well, in the, I would say in the patriarchal culture of Israel, only sons were the heirs. So, positionally, we are sons, and that way we are also heirs. Paul says that in Jesus Christ, the beloved, we have obtained an inheritance as heirs, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So by the obedience of Christ to the Father's will, by his death on the cross and being raised from the dead by the power of God, Jesus has obtained a heavenly, a heavenly inheritance for us who believe. And as the guarantee, deposit, or down payment on our inheritance, reserved for us in heaven, God sends his spirit to dwell within the heart of every believer. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A seal in biblical times, and maybe even today, was used to guarantee security or indicate ownership. Uh, ancient seals were often made of wax, embedded with the personalized imprint of their guarantor. A signet ring, some was also called a seal, a king could use his ring to put his imprint into the seal on a document to indicate royal authority. Well, the Holy Spirit seals those who trust in Christ Jesus. The Spirit's presence is God's guarantee that believers are owned by him and secure in him. Throughout eternity, all of God's people will bear this mark of identification. Praise God. This, Paul says the Holy Spirit was promised. The Greek word is parakleton regarding the Holy Spirit, which means an advocate, helper, comforter, one who comes alongside. Well, the Old Testament prophet Joel spoke of God's promise of the Holy Spirit, for instance, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that is something the Apostle Peter quotes in his first sermon there on the day of Pentecost. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit also. He promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent to his disciples. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, 
to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not only is the Holy Spirit the guarantee of our inheritance, he is a vital part of our legacy in Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit is not simply static, it is ongoing and active, because he is ongoing and active. The Holy Spirit is the power of God taking up residence in us and transforming us from the inside out. The Spirit penetrates our most intimate personal depths. The Spirit broods over us the way the Spirit hovered over primeval matter to turn it into God's ordered creation. This ordering, this transformative process in us is called sanctification. Through sanctification, we are brought into line with the Son, with the Son of God's character. The parakleton is making us conform or become parallel to the person of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit works in me and you to harmonize our hearts with Christ's heart. So, I'm uh, proud to brag often to people about our young granddaughter, Sophie Ann, and uh, sometimes her parents quiz people like, who does she look like more, her father or her mother? Does she look more like uh, the hardened side of the family or the little side of the family? Well, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we will more and more become our true selves by ever becoming more and more like Christ. There will be a family resemblance. We'll be bearing a resemblance to Christ. And you know, we were made to be receptive to God's Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit-shaped hole in each of us. <clears throat> but I know that many Christians are nervous about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Maybe not this group, but others. You know, we might like to put the Holy Spirit in a compartment or box and leave the lid on because we probably are afraid of what God could do in us if we really let him. By restricting the Holy Spirit, it only serves to diminish the presence of power of God in our lives, however. It diminishes the most important relationship one can have because it is the Holy Spirit who brings us to Christ and keeps us in his presence. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The Spirit places us within the very rhythm of the divine life of the Trinity, which is a life of love, making us participate personally in the relations that exist between the Father and the Son. And the Spirit is the creator of communion within the Christian community. It is only by the Spirit that we can truly love one another as Christ loved us. Try loving one another without the Holy Spirit's 
guidance and power. It's not so easy. Well, instead of being open to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, some of us prefer to remain closed to him. We'd rather try to live the Christian life on our own power. Thank you very much. That is an impossible task. Uh, Let's state the obvious. Jesus himself was dependent on the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel accounts of his baptism at the River Jordan, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, rested on him, and empowered him for his mission and ministry. By the power of God's Spirit in him, Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cast out demons, calmed the stormy sea. The the mighty power God used to raise Jesus from the dead is at work through the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit descended on the disciples in the upper room as tongues of fire and empowered the church to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, that same Spirit is at work in each believer's heart. Well, I can rightly declare as a believer that I have the Holy Spirit in me. But the real question is, how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? Am I open to the Holy Spirit? Am I available to the Spirit's work of sanctification? Well, that work is not a one-and-done operation. It is continuous and ongoing. And it's usually involving a few steps forward, and several steps back as well. Sometimes the work of the Holy Spirit in us is joyful. Other times it is painful. And it is painful because we progressively learn to die to our own selves, to die to our own self-centered desires in order to live for Christ, to make room for the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, the life abundant, the life eternal. It means not getting in the way of the Holy Spirit, not get in the way of what God desires to do in me. Well, being open to the Spirit is an act of true worship. It means offering ourselves to God all day, every day, and making ourselves available to God. To be open to the Spirit is to be in harmony with Christ. Abundant life is about living in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit, dare I say, dancing with the Spirit. I will now insert a shameless advertisement here for uh, a gathering we call Prayer and uh, Praise and Prayer, which meets the first and third, the first and third Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. in McGlynn Hall. This is a time where we are very conscious about being open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, offering ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Um, It's pretty dangerous, but I have to say Father Dan has attended and survived. Is that true? Okay. So um, I don't want you to be in any way afraid. Sincerely invite you to attend um, 
and see what the Holy Spirit has to communicate to you. Well, if you are willing, I'd like you to ask, I'd like to ask you to pray this prayer with openness to whatever God may do in your life. So here's the prayer. Lord, I am open to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come to me. Dwell in me. Speak to me so I may become more like Christ. Lord, give me the courage to be open. Lord, I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.